The thoughts, views, and opinions expressed in this episode does not completely reflect the thoughts, views, and opinions of St. Louis Story Stitchers. Stop and take a trip down on my block on. when you see hidden potential, young minds sharper than pencil, and ain't afraid to speak their mind if they got something against you. Nope. We standing with you, we tackle issues like civic pride. Hate will cease to exist, let's put our differences aside. From my side to your side, from Dutch Town to South Side, from Penrose to North Side, from Benton Park to Old North, the West End, the West Side, we bless when we step out, we stand down, rise up, stand together, wise up. This is Stitchcast Studio, produced by St. Louis Story Stitchers in St. Louis, Missouri. This is Stitchcast Studio Live, featuring our special guest, Jiraj Gorman, poet, leader, and activist. This is part one of a three-part series, diving deep into the emotional trauma attached to losing a loved one to gun violence. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them Story Stitchers. Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers, Story Stitchers. Been a poet my entire life. Some of my earliest memories are me writing what I didn't even know was poetry. Like I used to sneak and read the liner notes um, on albums and I would sneak and listen to my family's vinyl collection. And my mom actually found a book that I was writing in. And she was like, do you know what you're writing? And I thought I was writing song lyrics. I was like, well, I'm doing what Stevie Wonder does, right? And my mom was like, well, what Stevie Wonder does is poetry. Right. So she didn't even refer to it as songwriting. Stevie Wonder has always been considered like a poet in my family. Um, so that's how it kind of started for me. And my mom noticed I was a bit shy in elementary school. And I attended Brian Hill Elementary School where, by the grace of God, when I was coming up, all of my teachers were black. Um, yeah, and it kind of started with my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Love, where my mom started getting me to do more public speaking in a school setting, right? Um, and just had a lot of encouragement from my teachers and stuff like that to kind of break through this shyness. And they noticed that though, when I got on stage and I shook it off, like, all of that just went out the window and I kind of became a, a different person. I really stepped into myself. Um, so fast forward, uh, I've been in the ad industry now for 22 years as a creative director and copywriter um, and decided to come back home to St. Louis in 2013 after my brother John was killed. Um, he was 27 years old and he lost his life defending a girl in the neighborhood. Um, and I just could not make sense going back into corporate America after something like that. Like, <clears throat> I just could not fathom going into a boardroom <laughs> arguing over color palettes and fonts with very serious issues going out in the community. Um, and I kind of had a rude awakening. I went back, I went back to New York. I don't think my brother was gone more than a month. And I was back in New York moderating a panel for the one club during ad week. And I had to sit with how unnatural that was. <clears throat> Pardon me, where I had gone through perhaps the second most tragic thing in my life. Well, technically third, 
because before I lost my baby brother in 2013, I lost my cousin Guillermo in 2001. And then I lost my oldest brother, Javon, in 1993. So, and he was only home six weeks from Kuwait. So as they say, the death of my baby brother, John, was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. And I felt like I had to do something. Um, and while I was in New York, I was sitting down, like having brunch with a good friend of mine, my homeboy, Kenny. He had lost his brother to cancer, his twin brother at that. And he was talking to me about this thing called the new normal, right? Where it's like, what is it like to live your life without your sibling? And actually it hit me while him and I were eating. I was like, dude, all sibling loss ain't equal. Like you got to watch your brother through that process. And I know it had to be awful and painful. I was like, but my brother was taken suddenly. My cousin was taken suddenly. My baby brother was taken suddenly, right? And I was like, so this is different. And I just got curious. I went and looked up like all the support groups that they have for people who lose their loved ones and their siblings to cancer. It is like a sibling group <laughs> for every facet of cancer you can think of, right? The siblings get support. And as pervasive as community violence has been, I thought that there would have been something for people who have lost their siblings to violent crime. Nothing. Nothing. So as they say, if it's not present, you bring it to life. <laughs> you you do it. Um, so I basically had to take a step back from my life, my life as I knew it, you know, and relocated back to St. Louis. I never thought I would move back home. Take that back. I thought I would move home like in my 60s, you know, and not live here for real, for real, but like have a home here and come visit my folks and, you know, that whole bit. But I never thought that I would come back home that soon. And I always have to reflect on something I said in 2011 when I left corporate America. Because I also used to be the creative director and curriculum director for a nonprofit called the Marcus Graham Project where they train young professionals of color to be in advertising. And I finally got the opportunity to go and be with the students in Dallas, Texas, like starting in 2011 when I left my corporate gig. And we all used to live in this humongous building called the South Side on Lamar, which was like an old Sears and Roebuck um, factory. And they had this gorgeous pool on the top. And I remember sitting poolside one day, feeling a little lost because at that time I was 33 years old and I was like, what next? Because in the ad industry, I actually accomplished everything I set out to accomplish. And hence the reason why I resigned. <laughs> it was just like, why am I gonna stay here? 
I didn't have to quit my job, but it was just one of those things. Um, and I was sitting poolside and I always tell people, be careful. Be careful what you put out into the universe and what you ask for. Because um, I said a very simple prayer, request, petition. I said, God, use me. Didn't know what that would look like. Fast forward to 2013. My grandmother takes her last breath the day after my 35th birthday, which was May 9th, 2013. Three months later, I lose my baby brother, August 14th of 2013. And the way that God started using me <laughs> was like, one, I cannot believe this is my life. I cannot believe this is happening in my life. And I had no idea that I was capable of handling all that took place in that three month period. Um, however, I will say this, 2016, I finally broke. Finally, where I was just like in my car in front of blank space and some friends were out there and I just finally cried about everything. And I was finally like, this is awful, you know? And I didn't realize that I was behaving in a way that was a social expectation. And what I mean by that, it's like, you can't let that stop you. You can't let the death of your grandmother and your brother. Now, mind you, just wasn't those two deaths I had. I tell anybody, 2013 tried to make me an atheist. Um, Cause here it is, I lose my grandmother who was my best friend. I lose my baby brother who was my protector. I lose a dear mentor of mine, Riff Frontenier, who was an amazing ad guy, television writer. And then three months after him, I lose my ex in Chicago. He died from a freak choking accident. And he was more than an ex. We were writing partners. We were muses for each other, that whole bit. Our, our romantic relationship was kind of bottom level in comparison to what we really were to each other. But he was extremely important to me in regards to myself as a writer, right? And I was like to have though that many like important people die in less than nine months. I was like, oh my God, how do I still have my mind? <laughs> and to a degree, I kind of didn't because I was on autopilot, you know, because once again, the kind of, the social expectation is to say, well, you have a lot to live for. You're doing a lot. And one thing I know how to do in this life is I know how to work. I know how to work. And that's what I allowed to fill the void, if you will. I even released my first book after my brother's death. 
I was actually in the process of pulling together what became the collection known as In the Midst of Loving. I was pulling that together, but when my brother died, it was just like the whole world went still and I had nothing but time to like lay these poems out from 14 years of my life and then just to say, okay, which ones will go in this collection, right? And the book was released um, March of 2015, but it was 2016, the summer of 2016, finally. Everything came to a head. And I just remember crying that cry. If y'all know what I'm talking about. That one where you feel like everything has left your body. Um, and it was interesting that I, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't even do it at home. Like... I was out with friends and it was kind of weird how a series of events like triggered it for the lack of a better term. Um, Cause here it is, I went out to blank space that night. First night I'm really going out, like just trying to be around people because after my brother passed away, I didn't realize how much I started to isolate myself. Like people would only see me when I wanted to be seen. Like if I had to go out and do things, like do a book reading or something like that. Um, but outside of that, I I'd start noticing that I was isolating. So I'm like, oh, let me go ahead and go to Blank Space. And now mind you, this is all the stuff after Michael Brown Jr. has been murdered, all the upheaval here. I'm also, you know, a person who's heavily involved in my community in certain facets. Um, so when I sat with everything that I had going on, um, and I had just gotten back into the United States because that year I was also an Apex Art International Arts Fellow. And I think being away in Ethiopia, also breaking up with my ex, like kind of brought all these things to a head. And I got home and I was like out at blank space. And I'll say this as a cautionary so y'all won't do it to other people. This person who shall remain nameless came up to me and was like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in such a long time. Like, how are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm good. Like, this is a day where I finally want to get out. Like, no, how are you doing? And, you know, with your brother, like, just going there. And I'm looking like, I just really wanted to come out here, dance, have me a glass of whiskey and be okay. And now you're, and I keep telling you, like, I don't want to talk about this right now. This is not what I'm out tonight for, right? And eventually the person got a clue, right? <laughs> and thankfully some of my close friends were there with me. And one person in particular just noticed my energy shift. And I was like, I gotta go outside. And I just went in the car and just cried. I was like, oh my goodness. I can't hold all of this anymore. I don't want to. 
right? While I do not recommend that any of you all ever do that to someone, <laughs> I was like, well, there was potentially a, a universal method in that madness that happened, right? Perhaps that person was sent to me because I needed that, I needed that person to just kind of get at me like that. And I'm like, yo, like, what are you doing? Like, pause, you know? Perhaps I needed that to finally come to terms with everything I was grieving, right? Because I just wasn't grieving the loss of everybody who left and went into the realm of the ancestors. I just wasn't grieving that. It was also a grieving of my own identity. Like, who am I now outside of the ad industry? You know, am I still a poet? Am I still an artist, right? Um, who am I outside of this relationship, right? And I finally had to cry it all out just to take a good look at myself and to be like, okay, now how do we heal from all of this? Where do we go now from each, each loss, right? So from 2016 on, it has been a process of reclaiming, like personal reclaiming, most notably reclaiming of my art, like really getting back out there because 2022 has been amazing. I've performed this so much this year that I was like, wait, that was this year? Like, wait a second, like 2021 and 2022 are kind of like, collapsing all together. And I'm super, super grateful for that. So it's, it's pretty awesome to be on the other side of very heavy grief. And that's, that's one thing that I've come to learn about grief and have come to understand about grief. Grieving is a lifelong process because parts of us die that we don't even acknowledge. Not only the people, our careers, identities that we have created, where it's like, am I even that anymore? Or do I even wanna be that anymore? You know what I'm saying? And how do I, how do I walk in this life in my version of what being whole looks like? Right. So I say all that to say, for those who don't know who I am, I'm a human evolving. I've lived several different lives. I continue to live several different lives like simultaneously, which I am extremely grateful for <laughs> because I am also, I work under Dr. Punch um, at the T where I do spiritual care and chaplaincy work for our bullet-related injury clinic, as well as our community members who are working through their opiate addiction. Um, so, and I'm, I'm very grateful for being able to have the, the capacity to do that, to be able to take everything that I have gone through in my life and just the things that I have witnessed um, 
and to be able to serve, you know, in that way. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a very delicate balance because like I said, I'm, I'm on both sides of the coin. I've lost siblings to violent crime. I've also had my next to oldest sibling. He was shot when we were teenagers, right? So I've been in a family dynamic where I've had to watch my mother become a trauma nurse in the home after my brother was shot. I've had to watch my mother and father bury their sons. So it's one of those things that when I sit before people, because I feel like the most important thing that I do in spiritual care and chaplaincy work is bear witness, is simply be present because there are two principles that I operate with. One, I'm in the, I, am, I do the work of being in the ministry of presence, showing up, being available to people. I always tell people in the clinic, I'm here for screaming, cussing, all of it. <laughs> because sometimes this, what you were going through, you, you just gotta call it what it is. It is some BS. And no, it does not feel fair, right? And I also let folks know, I'm look, I'm here for joy too. I'm here for happiness. I'm here for those tears. I'm here to wipe them. I'm here for you to just say what you need to say to get it out your system so you won't go harm another person or harm yourself, right? However, I did do some thinking on my most recent trip because I was like, yes, being in the ministry of presence, but also being a keeper of story. Because as you can imagine, like when people sit down to talk about their injuries, those are very personal, tender um, stories that get revealed. So also in chaplaincy work, it's really important to be a keeper of story. But as I was saying, when I was on my most recent trip, I was like, what's this other part for me? Like, why do you really do this? And I was like, there's two things. I choose to be the person I wish my family had when my cousin was killed, when my brother was shot, when my little cousin was shot, when my baby brother was killed. And even when I just lost folks in the neighborhoods, because Right now, it's kind of weird for me because it almost feels like how it was in the 90s, like late 80s, early 90s when I was like in high school. Um, just a lot, a lot of shootings, a lot of funerals. Um, but not only do I want to be what I wish I had and what I wish our families had, our communities had, I'm like, I just want to be a safe soft place for people to land. A safe, soft place. Not somebody who's trying to tell you to give you direction. It's not what I'm here for. I'm here to bear witness. I'm here to remind you who you really are at the essence, at the true essence of yourself. 
and to reaffirm for a lot of people that, yeah, life is worth it. Hey, everybody, you know what time it is. It's time for our Pick the City Up art interlude, featuring an original piece by Story Stitches Artist Collective called Anti. Anti, anti, I ain't bother you, where did I go wrong? Anti, anti, I ain't on that, please leave me alone. Anti, anti, bully me, then regret it when I'm gone. Anti, 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 anti. Anti-anti, I ain't bother you, where did I go wrong? Anti-anti, I ain't no net, please leave me alone Anti-anti, bully me, then regret it when I'm gone Anti-anti, anti-anti yeah. 16 with a dream, not on involved Glocks with the beam, I don't wanna hit the blunt I don't wanna sip the lean, got my head on straight With a high civil steam, cause I'm <laughs> Headed for the top, ain't got no time for no roadblocks I ain't hitting the block, in the spot Ay, Ducking the cops, ducking the shots you need to pick up the slack You could be the leader of the pack Ain't no sense of following the blind I guarantee they won't have your back You ain't gotta do what they do Shoot what they shoot Decisions all up to you Ain't no breeze Cause if you ask me I tell them One, two, three, ayy Anti-anti, I ain't bother you Where did I go wrong? Anti-anti, I ain't on that Please leave me alone Anti-anti, who you need to regret it when I'm gone Anti-anti, anti-anti Anti-anti, I ain't bother you Where did I Like you, somebody expressed to me that God can handle it. I'm saying God can handle you being mad and uh, even more so than that, or maybe not more so, but equally so. 
God knows that you mad before you decide to be honest and saying I'm mad, you know? So it's, it's been a couple of times, even recently where I had to go to God, like, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm like, I'm, I'm hot right now. I, I love you. I believe you know what you're doing, but I'm, I'm mad. I'm hot right now. You know, so, um, I, I used to feel like, no, you can't question God or you can't, you can't get mad at God. God is God. But anger is emotion, is an emotion that all of us are capable of feeling. And I think God knows what we don't understand and why the way God set certain things up could cause us to be angry, you know? So uh, a guy that's all knowing and all loving, I believe can... I don't think I have enough of anything to exhaust a guy. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so yeah. I definitely used to feel like you can't, you can't, you can't be mad at God. Watch your mouth. You know what I'm saying? But now I feel like I would almost be being dishonest to not say like, "Yo, I'm, I'm mad. Like, I don't like that you did that." So yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that 100. Um, percent I personally feel like since he's aware of like everything that we're feeling going through and he knows what's coming next i feel like i was told that you have to he, he knows what you're feeling and what you're thinking but he wants you to come to him and tell him he wants you to talk to him about it and um i feel like that's another thing you have to talk to him about what you're feeling even though he knows what you're feeling he wants you to trust that you can talk to him about it. now you're absolutely right and i think that's why things for me, it could just totally be my be my perception or whatever. But I remember talking to a good friend one night, my homegirl Aziza. She was like, no, God does give us more than we can handle so we can lean into God, right? And I was like, that's interesting though. I was like, because I can see how that would make someone really move away from God. Where it's like, wait a second, you gonna take somebody I love from me so I can get closer to you? The math ain't mathing, as they say. You know, like what God would do that, that sounds very selfish and self-serving, right? And I believe that my God is not a selfish God, that my God is a loving God. And in that moment, I had to start doing some reframing where this is life. Right. And I believe that God at time weeps. Where it's like, I am sorry that that had to happen to you. Sorry that that had to happen to your people, your community, etc. Right. However, I hope y'all start loving one another. I hope you start remembering what love is. And just not relying on me. Because I made y'all. I put y'all there together. So what is y'all gonna do? <laughs> you know? But it was, that was such an important and pivotal moment. And it was so knee-jerk, right? And that's what I love my homegirl Aziza for. She's, I always tell everybody, keep your honest friends and not people who are like low key or high key, like trying to tear you down and saying they're being honest or keeping it real or, 
you know, tough look, whatever people say when they really are being shady, right? <laughs> but keep those honest friends who will have dialogue with you and who will position things just a little differently to get you to start thinking a little differently about what's going on in your life or how you're perceiving things or, you know, how you're making sense of the world. And I appreciate her because it was such like a, it was one of those moments that caught me off guard where I was like, now we getting ready to go into a real conversation about God and faith. I wasn't expecting this. I was just trying to brush it off. You know what I'm saying? And just, be nonchalant about it, if you will. And nonchalant about it for my own safety. Because I thought me saying, well, God isn't going to give me more than I can handle. Right? Just to kind of bring myself some sort of peace and calm to rationalize what I was feeling at the moment. And then to have my homegirl be like, Boop, I'm going to push back on you real quick to get you to think a lot deeper about this and to get me to be honest. Because you hit on a really important point, Brandon, about being honest in our faith relationships. Because if we can't be honest with God or spirit or our ancestors, then who can? Who can we expect to be honest with? That's one of our most private and intimate relationships. And even though we might feel or think that God is all knowing, sometimes we just get real quiet and talk under our breath as if spirit does not catch. hundred <laughs> percent. And as if there's anything that we could have from God anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let me ask you all a question. Especially post, we're in the the aftermath, right, of this school shooting that took place. What are some spiritually harmful things you've heard people say either before this or in the wake of this? I don't know how harmful it is in the in the in the vein of actually doing harm but harmful in the way of it's a waste of time to be said is it's like it's like I, th- I think a lot of times when when we come across stuff like this some people cling to kind of like the religious clichés or whatnot stuff like god doesn't put more on you than you can bear you know i think i think some things We've kind of just started saying in certain situations and that, and that they've kind of lost their meanings or that they're overused or, or said or said uh, or mi- misinterpreted or mis- misimplied or whatnot. So I went to like maybe four four candlelights for the school. It was among, I, I went to the school. So... Um, Emira did as well. Um, so while I was there, there was a lot of uh, 
religious uh undertone in some of the stuff uh like 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 one of the candlelights was uh one of the candles like candlelights was put together by i believe a a, a catholic college or whatnot and so so some of these things had like religious undertones and i got to see uh some of the teachers and students that i know and love that are atheists sit through these uh religious traditions for lack of a better uh term and and in that in that in that particular moment their beliefs didn't matter you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying they they understood the the meaning and the significance behind what was being done even if they didn't completely agree with everything that was being said now uh that being said i don't like like the whole thoughts and prayers thing i'm over it you know what i'm saying i don't i don't really want to like like i get the intention is good you know what i'm saying but i <laughs> come on now like i, I don't i don't really want to hear that you know what i'm saying it's just it's it's, it's it's not helpful so that's why that's why i say um other with other than religious cliches that people just kind of use you know that they that they, 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 they just kind of throw out there you know what i'm saying like they'll say stuff like god know what he's doing and that's all well and good but i don't i don't know what he's doing and I got to deal with these emotions. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to hear that God knows what he's doing right now. I was like, you know how like they say it's a, it's a time and a place for everything. You know what I'm saying? And so the day after seeing my school get, getting shot up, I, I don't really want to hear that God know what he's doing. You know what I'm saying? I'm so like, I'm not even in the, I'm not in the emotional, the spiritual place, none of that. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not going to lie, that, that, that might be one of those, uh, circumstances that that made me i don't know that i was angry at god because i understand the uh the pros and cons of free will and all of that you know what i'm saying so i don't know that i was angry at god but i was i, I must have went through like every emotion you know what i'm saying and um and I, I told the last person that asked it was a really emotionally confusing time i'm saying and, and it's, it's like the only time that you're certain of how you feel is when you sad. And I'm saying when I'm sad, I know that I'm sad. Other than that, I'm not really sure to describe how I feel. And I'm saying I know that would be there would be bursts of anger, a verse of bursts of depression, or whatever the case is. But but I know, and 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 the occasional um, ray of happiness because uh we did uh reunite we did get to you know come together and love on each other people that we we haven't seen in seven eight years or whatever but but yeah all of those religious cliches like i feel like you know they can keep that you know what i'm saying like like i don't i don't want to hurt none of that especially in the aftermath you know what i'm saying Fo like immediately following you know what i'm saying like i'm <laughs> Last week, I, I done lost count of how many times I didn't cried about it. You know what I'm saying? And crying ain't even something that I typically, that's not usually how I express myself. You know what I'm saying? But I, I couldn't, I could, I couldn't help it. You know what I'm saying? It would just, it would just come in waves and out of nowhere. And the depression would just smack you in the face. And it would always be these moments in the morning. It would always be a split, a split second when I woke up where I felt normal. It felt like a, a normal morning for for, for a, a split second. And then immediately everything comes back to your your memory. You you remember like, yo, it's, it's not normal at all. 
it's not normal at all. Like, yo, my school got shot up. You know what I'm saying? So, so I must, I must have felt, I must have felt every emotion last week, and huh, so I guess in that way, I would say the religious cliches were actually harmful because you're making me matter. You know what I'm saying? Because like I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? Like, like yo, yeah, God know what He's doing and all of that good stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like regardless of how true it is or how true I believe it to be it doesn't help me deal with what I'm dealing with right now you know what I'm saying I, I would I would love a, a explanation or under, some some sort of understanding of something like like yo like my, my teacher is gone she was the, the sweetest lady in the world you know what I'm saying she, she, she ain't did nothing to nobody and 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 he he, he wasn't even trying to kill it you know what I'm saying? She 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 put herself in harm's way to protect some other people because that's how she was. And that's how a lot of those students were. I mean, that's how a lot of those teachers was. You know what I'm saying? And yeah, Central was a place full of love. And so like and like like I like I told the interviewer, if if something like that could happen at Central, it could happen anywhere. I would always see these other school shootings and be like, dang, we gotta love each other better. But it happened in my school kind of let me know that maybe a lack of love ain't the problem. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know, I know the dude that did it was suffering from different mental stuff or whatever. And make no mistake about it, I ain't justifying nothing. Don't nothing justify that. But stuff like deception is, I mean, stuff like depression is deceptive. I say it could cause you to believe that you're alone when you're not. You know what I'm saying? Like you, 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 you can have a whole world that love you, a whole army of, of people that love you. But because you have this mental disorder, you feel like don't nobody love you. You feel like you're alone. And I know that he felt like he was alone. And I know that he wasn't because I know the people that loved him. So that goes back to say that maybe a lack of love ain't the problem. Thank you for listening. And last but not least, we want to give a very special shout out to the Stitchcast Studio sponsors. Stitchcast Studio Season 2 in 2021 is sponsored by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund three-year grant from 2020 to 2022, Arts and Education Council, PNC Grant, and Lush Corporations, the Charity Pot. Peace in the Prairie is presented with support from Missouri Arts Council, a state agency which receives support from the state of Missouri and the National Endowment for Arts. Additional support is provided by the Spirit of St. Louis Women's Fund, Missouri Foundation for Health, City of St. Louis Youth at Risk Crime Prevention Grant of 2020, Stewart Family Foundation, and Kranzberg Arts Foundation. They say who that, but you already knew that. That beat them story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches, story stitches. Story stitches.